In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Brought to you this week by the dreaded 20-year high school reunion. Welcome in to episode 96 of the Gospel Friends. I am Reverend Verbage. I am Chase Captain Crunchy Thompson. And what is this uh, 20-year high school reunion you're speaking of? Well, I just discovered a few days ago that uh, this is the year, 2016, that we would have our 20th year high school reunion as graduated in 19. Six. We're not going to our team, but uh, our several people uh, from the class and several of our friends on Facebook who are going and seem to be quite excited about it. Um, not not. Uh, I went to the ten. Think I'm going to stay away from the twenty. But it makes you feel old. Just as you're twenty. I mean, we've been out of high school for twenty years. That's just. I mean, I know you you dealt with it, uh, about fifteen years ago. That's your the same way. <laughs> Nice. So uh, no, I am. Uh, I'm coming. Uh, yeah, I've been out of high school for 26 years now. That's alarming. Uh, uh, long time, Chase. Long time. But you know, not as bad as 30 or 35 years or something like that. I guess not. Wait, I don't feel old. <laughs> you don't look old, buddy. Episode nice guys is just going to be. Uh, uh, hopefully. You after listening to episode 95, maybe a couple of days ago, episode 96, we're going to do a, a kind of continue a segment we started uh, a couple of shows called Adventures in Ministry. So uh, this podcast pretty short, pretty sweet, uh, as we just continue telling some stories about uh, about ministry today. I think, Chase, we're talking about the first time we – all right? That is correct, David. And by the way, so if you keen-eared listeners are noticing – David still sounds a little uh, sketchy. Well, we we are working on a solution to the problem, but we haven't fixed it yet. Uh, we're still dealing with some AT&T internet issue, and so we might have David phase in and phase out a little bit. Uh, part of that being because he's a multidimensional being, and he just interferes with microphones, but we'll, we'll make it through. Uh, David, you and I have been in ministry for uh, quite a while now. Uh, you have served at Agape, I mean, uh, the, uh, the um, HOD church for how many years is it? Uh, how long have I been there or how long have we been there together? Now, how long have you been there? Oh, wow. I've been, uh, this is my 11th, let's see, 11th year on staff at the church. 11 years. That's crazy. All right, so I have been at Agape for uh, a little over eight years and been in ministry for a little over 20 years. So we're, what we're going to talk about today is our first sermon uh, what happened? How did it go? What have we learned since then? So, David, over to you. Tell us about the first sermon you ever preached in church. All right, so I joined the staff of our church in 2006, children's pastor. That was in January. 
September of that year, I was offered the opportunity to preach my first sermon, uh, and uh, it was just a few days before Christmas. Uh, I prepared for that sermon, by the way, for about two months. Uh, is the, that is the a sermon that I uh, I prepared more for that message than any I'd ever done um, at at that time. You know, it was the first my first chance to really preach in front of the quote-unquote adults. Here's the thing that I remember about that sermon. I, I could tell you what it was about. It wasn't a groundbreaking topic. It was it was ultimately about um, taking the gift of salvation and that being motivation for us to share the gospel with other people. But the thing that I remember about that that really out with me is is the 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 awe, the anticipation that I had to be able to speak in front of a large group of people uh, about the Bible, preach to them. And uh, I guess fear, but it wasn't fear in terms of getting up in front of people and talking. It was just the fear of, wow, I'm really going to preach, and I would have never imagined myself doing this. So the night before I preached, I went up to the church, and I two hours at the church that night, I was going around and I was praying. I prayed over every seat in the sanctuary. Uh, Not only did I pray over every seat, but going back to my Pentecostal days, I anointed every seat in the sanctuary with oil, just a little, and prayed over the seats and the for the people who were going to be sitting in the chairs the next day. Uh, uh, I do have a quick question. I don't okay. want to interrupt a great story, okay. but uh, were any seats saved during the message? <laughs> yes, we had five seats that came forward. That, that is amazing. It's, okay, uh, oh, so all right, keep, keep going, please. I was praying, obviously, for the people who were going to be sitting in seats the next day as I was oh. as I was praying over the seats. That makes a lot more uh, Yeah, this uh, probably should have articulated it that way. So anticipating no, the people, and, and, and honestly, since at that time we had more seats than we had people, I wasn't sure which seats were going to have people in them or not. So I ended up actually praying over some of the seats that probably were just empty the next day. Um, nevertheless, my, my point to all that, whether you find that to be extremely silly or uh, you're appalled at the anointing of of objects and and not people or whatever. Bottom line was, there's something about the the fact that um, I was driven. I was driven to that place that I was in awe of what I was getting to do, and I was I was in God in a in a very unique way and wanted to be at the church the night before to pray over where everyone was going to be and just pray that, that that they that they would hear the message and honestly that's not that's not things that I think about anymore I, I still have an awe about preaching and I, I still feel like ultimately um, I see that as God's task and, and, and an amazing gift but I can't say that you know, Thirty-seven-year-old uh, uh, David had the same um, ha, ha, has the same awe about it that that twenty-six-year-old David had, and uh, I, I don't think that's to my benefit. You know, I think that's that's to my detriment, and uh, and and that's something that probably the young David could teach the older David. Uh, but that has always stood out to me about my very first sermon. 
that's good stuff, man. There, there has been, uh, there have been more than once that that I, I've gone through and, and anointed chairs and prayed for the people that would be hearing the message. Uh, although I got to say, it's been it's been a long time since I've done that, and I'm I'm actually uh, as as much as I was joking in the question I asked you earlier, I'm, I'm not sure that that's not a, a great practice to have. I I think. We would do well to do more of, of more praying about the the people who would hear the message, not that they would receive us or think well of us, of course. And I know you weren't thinking that either, but that the word of God would would go deep and run swiftly and bear much fruit in them. Uh, so, so here's a couple questions for you. Um, first sermon to now, what do you do differently, other than you don't necessarily pray for every chair? Oh, wow. Uh, first sermon to now. You know, my preaching has style has changed um, over over the years, um, and, and I've kind of switched back and forth in some things that I think we've talked about before. Uh, sometimes I've done outlines and just preached through an outline. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. I, I, I almost always did an outline when I first started preaching. I would outline what I was going to do and then fill that outline in. And I even had um, outlines to hand out to the congregation where they would do the fill-in-the-blank deal. Uh, I don't do that anymore. Part of that, honestly, is just time. I think if I had more time, I probably would because I still enjoy that style of teaching. Uh, but today, uh, I do more manuscripting of my sermons, which we've talked about before. Um, I, I actually had a manuscript for the Easter message last weekend, and I was able to print that out and make copies available to people who wanted it um, right at the very end of the sermon. Uh, so that's a, that's kind of a, a big change for me um, in, in how I structure the messages. I, I, that may change again in the next five years or so, but right now how I go about preparing is, is a whole lot different than how I used to do it. So would you say you spend uh, more time now in preparation uh, or less time than the first few sermons you did? Um, well, I definitely think I spent more time back then in preparation. However, I mean, back then I preached to the quote-unquote larger, the, the adult congregation, like once every, you know, six months. After you came, um, you actually started having me preach uh, a more, and so you started having me preach um, you know, once every couple months, and then eventually you were having me preach once a month. Uh, to to you know the situation we're in today, which is we we basically split it. Um, but I definitely prepared more back then. Um, part of that was just there was a lot more time in between messages, and part of that was um, uh, well, I think mainly it was the time in between messages. But there was probably a, a part. It's probably a part of me now that I, I have maybe a little bit more experience to pull from and a little bit more knowledge or being able to remember scripture that comes to my mind kind of easily and 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 so um I, i'm able to plug some verses in now easier than i was back then uh so hopefully there's a little there's a little maturity to that but also the time frame and how you know how frequently i was preaching has definitely changed okay Cool, cool. 
Well, the first sermon I ever preached, uh, I've actually tried to find the manuscript for it, I have, or the, the notes for it. I have not been able to yet, because this, this would have been 1996, I believe. Now, I had spoken in church before, um, but I don't think I'd ever preached the main sermon. And uh, I was in a Methodist church, and I've had, I've had a fairly unusual ministry career in that uh, I have... Uh, in the let's see, twenty plus years I've been in ministry, I've I've served in two Southern Baptist churches, a Methodist church, a Christian Missionary Alliance church, um, and two or three different flavors of uh, non-denominational church. Shout out to uh, A. W. Tozer, by the way, on that CMA. Yes, A. W. Tozer and A. B. Simpson, uh, two. Uh, awesome CMA dudes. I have a lot, loads of respect for the CMA. Um, but uh, at the time I preached my first message, I was a youth pastor in a Methodist church, which was my second uh, career ministry stop, but the first one that happened when I was married and, and I guess an adult out on my own. And I preached on Matthew twenty five thirty one through 46, which is the sheep and the goats passage uh, where uh, where Jesus talks about the least of these. And, and it's kind of interesting. I guess it, it, in 2016, that seems a fairly uh, normal passage for a Methodist church, which would be a little bit more liberal theologically. I was not liberal theologically, which you know caused some level of tension. I came to the Methodist church from a Baptist church, but they offered me the job, and I was like, yeah. And my wife and I were... You know, we were brand new, married, and we were we'd do anything essentially. So, we were there. We served for three years, and the reason I preached on Matthew twenty five thirty one through forty six is because when the pastor asked me to preach, I was like, you know, sure, I'd I'd, I'd love to, and um, I, I you know, I, I I think I had a couple of weeks lead time, and I think I was reading through uh, part you know parts of the Bible at the time, and I was a little panicked because I nothing kind of jumped to mind on what I should preach about. And so, of course, you know, prayed about it. But essentially, I was reading one day in Matthew, and I got to Matthew 25 and and read 31 through 46. And I know I'd read it before because I'd read the book of Matthew before, but I must not have been paying attention because that passage just absolutely gripped me. It, it's the passage where... Jesus essentially says that at the end of time, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the goats are going to be sent into eternal hell. Uh, they're going to be sent to hell. And the sheep are going to join him in everlasting life. And the thing that separates the sheep from the goats is essentially this. It, he says... Um, uh, the the righteous uh, is oh let's see was twenty five thirty seven righteous will answer Jesus Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink when did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them I assure you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And, and he goes on to say, You didn't do any of those things for me. And they say, Lord, when do we see you in that way? And he said, Whatever you did not do for the one, one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And it concludes with verse 46, They will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And I read that. And I reread it, and I reread it, and honestly, David, I was like, "Holy crap! Nobody knows this is in the Bible." <laughs> I almost felt like I was the first one to That's discover it. You were about to is... give new information that no one else had ever. Precisely, <laughs> yes. The arrogance of a young seminarian. But I'd never, to my knowledge, I'd never heard a, a message on that. I'd never heard that such a thing was in the Bible, and it gripped me. I was just like, "Holy crap! This is so..." critically important this is this is jesus here saying you know this is the how he's going to separate people from heaven and hell which i, I still believe I, I believe that is true passage you take it in context with the gospel passages where he also talks about eternal life and, and how to walk in it but i was astonished and i, I was gripped by alarm and, and i imagine that there would be quite a bit in that message I might not agree with today, but uh, I will tell you, I, I preached it out of a real passion that we would serve Jesus by serving the hungry, serving the thirsty, uh, taking in the stranger, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoner, etc. And I just don't think you can read that passage, 25, 31 through 46, and come away with the idea that Jesus is not massively concerned for the least of these in a way that his followers don't quite get. All right, so let me ask you uh, a couple of questions uh, you were preaching, uh, really similar. Um, is there anything, like when you started preaching, is there anything about the way that you preached back then that you, you kind of miss? You go, I I don't know why I don't do that anymore, or I I, I'm, I don't know that style, or I miss you know something that you used to do in preaching. Anything that you would that you sometimes think, hey, I I should bring that back. I should do that. Like I used to. Well, that's that's a good question. Um, hmm. I I would say at the time I, I had just met up with uh, a couple of. Um, fairly fiery youth ministers one of them was also at a Methodist church and they pretty much hated him because he was a very biblical guy and the Methodist church I was at was actually fairly biblical the one uh, my, uh, my friend Sam was at was extremely theologically liberal in a lot of fairly disturbing ways and he was under fire all the time and, and I, I hooked up with him and a uh, and another guy, Michael, at a, a dry and dusty Baptist church. And we prayed together a lot. Uh, we would sometimes go to Sam's church and pray. We would sometimes go to our place and pray. Uh, we would go to Michael's church or his house and pray. We were in prayer a lot. And some of those early messages came out of the crucible of, of kind of some deep extended times of prayer. Uh, and every one of them, every one of those messages in the early days was delivered with a sense of uh, 
urgency uh, that that maybe isn't there quite as much now. There was some of the passion of youth that I feel like I've lost, and I don't think I, I don't think I should have lost it. I mean, I don't think it's just that was there because of youth. So I I don't think I preach without passion now, and 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 I don't think I preach without prayer now. But there, I, I think in a sense I was. Uh, I was more passionate then. I was more fiery then. And I miss that. Um, I haven't thought about this in a while. Uh, I, I think going to seminary, graduating with a few degrees, has, has sort of pushed me into being more of an intellectual preacher. And I don't think the great crying need of the body of Christ right now or the lost is is that although my, my favorite preacher is very intellectual Tim Keller um, I think we need more fiery I don't mean I don't mean goofy I don't mean screaming I mean fiery men of God and and, and so there was probably more fire in me then than now I say to my shame thanks a lot man <laughs> No, actually, you know, even even this past Sunday, uh, doing the Easter message and us talking about some of the the the, the job that Evans, what we were talking about in the last episode about trying to teach, uh, trying to preach, not preach, trying to preach with the accuracy and passion. I kind of realized the same thing. There was a a bit of a a passion that preach with. Uh, when I was first doing it, I think part of that was the that I, I didn't do it as frequently, and so for me it was just so exciting. And it, and I don't at all mean that it's not exciting now. Just as you asked the question about preparation earlier, I don't I don't prepare now. It's just a matter of comparing those two times, um, the infrequency in preaching back in my younger, uh, you know the the earlier days of ministry. It was just such that there was this fire that that really kind of came out when I was preaching uh, and trying to replicate. I think when you're preaching more frequently, um, especially when you're in a bivocational position where you have uh, other things during the week that, that you're having to take care of, um, I think that's that is more. I think it's more difficult, and I think it it's what you're talking about. I think it is you to go really need to spend more time in prayer um, I've, I've even wrestled with that now uh, wondering because there is a degree where and this is not I don't mean this arrogantly at all there is a degree where I don't have to work as hard at preparation anymore I don't mean that in terms of study I mean that in terms of writing and preparing the message that was always really difficult for me in the early days was getting the structure and the outline and and today that flows pretty well for me um and so i've often wondered if you know i just really would be better to spend more time in prayer over the message than in preparation over the message and honestly the prayer being preparation so you know what i mean there though that like actually preparing um, if it would be better uh, to, to spend that more time in prayer because um, wanting that passion and wanting fire, uh, and I think that's just something that – I don't know. I think that's something you have to battle to have the longer you preach.
One last question for you before we get out of here. One of the ways that I've seen you change in preaching in the seven or eight years, however long uh, we've been together, how long did you say it's been? It's been a little over eight. Okay, a little over eight years. When, you, when I first met you, I remember sitting in a staff meeting and you saying, uh, I don't do series. I don't do series. I can't do series. I don't know what the Lord wants me to preach until the week of. Today, you're a big series guy. What value do you find in doing messages in a series that Chase eight years ago didn't see? That, that's actually a, a great. That is a great question. You know, eight, the first whatever, 12, 14 years of ministry, my my goal, you know, I, I, I feel like I was, I was extremely relational then. I mean, I'm probably not quite as relational now as I was then, but I was extremely relational as a youth pastor. And, and so I felt like I kind of understood the need of the group and, and, and what truths they need to hear, needed to hear. Now, obviously, hearing me say that it sounds very humanistic and uh, and such, and I, I I'm a little ashamed of that. But but I I felt like I mean a shepherd should know those things. God knows those things better than any human shepherd would. But but I felt like I was running so close together with them. I, I knew the struggles. I knew the temptations. I saw them. I saw the dangers to the flock in the areas where we were weak, and so. Week in and week out, we would get in the Word in places where there seemed to be a, a great need, uh, a, a, a great need, and in a sense that works. And you're right. Now I am much more of a series guy. Now I suppose part of that is because uh, you are, and it's easier for us to plan together. But but that that's only probably a very small part of it. I, I would say. The larger part of it is is this: when we're preaching through a book of the Bible, for instance, uh, you know, Philippians or Colossians or Hebrews, which we did fairly recently, there are things that's going to come through that um, I would not, in my own of my own choice or volition, I would not choose to preach on. But those things are God's word. And they are needed for people in the congregation at that very moment. And I might be completely oblivious to that. Um, but the, So, preaching through series, especially going through books of the Bible, helps us to wrestle with passages that are difficult, that personally challenge us, that we might in our flesh skip for the wrong reasons or we might not initially see the treasure that's buried in them because they're hard to understand and, and it might be simpler to teach on a passage we do understand and i've found going through series especially again series that are that are books of the bible i found that some of those places that are obscure not easy to understand are actually hiding some incredible biblical truth treasures that would not have been unearthed by just kind of a casual, full-on topical approach to teaching and preaching and study. That's well said. Well, I, I, I will say this. Uh, one that I think of preaching 
commentaries or books of the Bible uh, is one that we don't utilize as much or we haven't up in uh, it, um, well, even really this year, we're focusing this year as a church on reading the Bible together every week. Um, that's the time in mine, your ministry together that really had that emphasis of trying to get everyone to read messages um, of the Bible that go throughout the week. I've always felt like preaching through a book of the Bible, sending out the passages you're going to be preaching on kind of the week at the time, and letting people go ahead and read over those and chew over them before the message would be just kind of priming the pump um, for the time on days. Uh, I've always thought that's a benefit. We've we've never really done that, even though we when we preach through books of the Bible, I think we've done it a few times um, and, and sent some things out in email or, or told people where we were going. Uh, but I don't know that we've emphasized it, even though I think that's a great benefit of preaching through books is the opportunity for people to kind of have an idea of what the message is going to be about and the scripture that's going to be about so they can already have looked at it um, and, and had an idea of what the passage says before the teaching time on Sunday. So um, that's just... Well, I like that. Yep. One of the, my favorite things that we used to do with the HOD church that we don't do now because we've moved away from Wednesday nights and, and into um, gospel communities or kind of our, our the version of small groups we do. We, we used to have a Wednesday night uh, Bible study that... Uh, was very conversational in, in, in tone, and we would go through books of the Bible, and we would let everybody know kind of ahead of time, and they would automatically know because we were very systematic about it. They would know what was coming up, and, and that dynamic that you're talking about would happen there. People would read ahead. They would be ready to talk about it, and I've sometimes wondered how that model would do on a Sunday morning. Uh, because there was an extreme, we didn't have huge crowds on Wednesday nights, but there was a, an extremely high level of engagement uh, of people with the text. And, and I've often wondered, is this more memorable? Is it more penetrating to go through the Word in an interactive way? Uh, at a church our size, 120, 150 people, 110, whatever, on a Sunday morning, eh, it's it, it, that might be doable. Um, at a mega church, well, maybe not quite as doable. That's interesting, yeah. Or a combination of two. I know there's some churches I think I've heard who do something where there's a, a teaching time and then a discussion time afterwards. So, uh, yeah. hey, listen, if, if anyone listening to the podcast, if, if your church does uh, that type of um, you know Sunday morning hearing where it's it's a little all just the traditional, um, you know, one or two pastors preaching, uh, shoot us an email, thegospelfriends at gmail.com, thegospelfriends at gmail.com. Uh, tell us about uh, how your church does things on Sunday, uh, and we'll try to that in a future podcast. Uh, also want to mention a favorite group that we have, uh, the Hall of Dogma, which you can get to by going to thehallofdogma.com, hallofdogma.com. That'll get you to the Facebook group. It is a private group, so if you will ask to be loved in, um, then uh, we will be glad to do that. Uh, well, new subscribers this week, uh, uh, new people uh, coming in the hall. Uh, I did not write their names down to give them a shout out. I hate, it. Uh, but um, anyway, whoever you were, welcome because I did see you. I think you may have lived in South Carolina or something like that. 
as you can see, the way we do things around here is very professional. Anyway, that's going to work for episode 96. Chase, any uh, any parting comments for from you as we uh, have done another Adventures in Ministry segment? Well, I will say I thoroughly enjoyed that. I hope it was edifying to everybody. And uh, uh, I guess that's about as good as I have for a parting comment. Are we going to do the thing, the question? Join us next week when you might hear David say, I'm doing a podcast, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Jesus is a friend of mine.